So as we continue our series, which we began uh, a couple of weeks ago, looking at the heart of God, this morning we will be looking at another characteristic of the heart of God, which is its purity. So our topic for this morning is God's pure heart. Now the reason why we're looking at the heart of God at the start of the year is so that we know the kind of heart that we are encouraged to have. So God's heart sets the standard. That's the standard that we all aim, that we all aspire to get to. Now one of the reasons that I really love Christianity is because it's not founded upon the percept of competition. We are not called to compete against one another. We are not called to outsmart one another. God's kingdom is not based on the principle of survival of the fittest. It's not the strongest that will get to stand before the presence of God at the end of the day. On the contrary, we are all called to reach a standard and that standard church is Christ. We are called to be like him, we are called to walk like him, we are called to think like him, we are called to act like him, and we are called to be like him. We are not called to weigh our life with one another or on a balance against the most holy person on our congregation and feel happy about it if we are doing okay. We are called to reach a standard called Christ-likeness. And Christ-likeness is the goal for each and every one of us. We are to reach that mark. And glory be to God, he has made a provision for us to help us, to spur us on, and to push us to get to that mark. So when we talk about the heart of God, let us look into our own hearts. Let us not look into another person's heart. Let us reflect on our own hearts and evaluate what is missing. What is missing from reaching that mark set for us in Christ. Let us present ourselves upon the altar, upon the surgeon's table, and pray like David did in Psalms 139 from verse 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way, any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the prayer that David prayed. And he was reflecting on his own heart, on his own heart, putting himself before God, before the surgeon's table, and laying himself down to be searched and to be cleansed and to be renewed. The leading scripture that I want to use this morning in talking about the pure heart of God is found in the gospel in the first book of John, chapter 3, from verse 1 to 3. Here's what John says. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Oh, I love this verse. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. What manner of love? What kind of love is it that the Father has lavished on us 
that he has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Then look at the next verse. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. If the world does not know how much loved you are of God, the world will not know you. They may, relate, they may relate to you as a person. They may know your names. They may know the type of work that you do. They may know your background. But if, if they don't have that revelation of how much loved you are of the Creator, they won't really know you. Then it continues in verse 2 and says, Beloved, now we are children of God. There is no question about it. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. One thing that I want you to notice about what John is saying here is how much he looks forward to stand in the presence of God. You can see here, as a New Testament believer, writing to the church, and he says, but we know that when he is revealed, he is looking forward to the revelation of Christ, and he knows that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And then he says, whoever has this hope, whoever has this hope to stand before the revelation of Christ, let him purify himself just as he is pure. Here is the standard, just as he is pure. That's the standard of purity that we are to attain. Now, one of the characteristics of God's heart is its purity. I looked up the Greek word, for pure in this verse from the first from from first John and it is the word hagnos h a g n o s and it means free from ceremonial defilement it means holy it means sacred and i find it instructive that many times the bible talks about purity either the heart is involved or the presence of god is involved and this morning i want to talk to you about two manifestations of God's pure heart as they relate to us. How are we to make sense of the fact that God has a pure heart and how does that relate to us? What does that mean to us? But at the very outset, let me say this. All of the previous topics that we have looked at over the past weeks, like the loving heart of God, the good heart of God, the merciful heart of God, and the steadfast unwavering love of God. These are all characters of God, God's heart that draw us near to him. These are all the virtues of God that attract us to him. The love he lavishes on us, the goodness that he shows us, the mercy with which he is merciful unto us. All of these draw us near to his presence so that we can dwell in his presence forever. And isn't that what the psalmist says in Psalms 23, verse 6? There he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me 
all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. His goodness and mercy will follow you. They will push you to the, towards the dwelling house of God, towards his presence. And God's plan is not for us to have a communion with him just every Sunday. It's so that we can continually dwell in his presence. And in order for us to continually dwell in his presence, we need to have a pure heart just like his. That is why in the scripture that we just read at the start from the Gospel of John, John says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Therefore, having been attracted by the love and by the goodness and by the mercy and by the persistent and steadfast love of God, you come before his presence and there is where you meet the purity of God. As you stand before his presence, his purity reflects back on you and you see the pure heart of God. And church, let me say this, the pure heart of God will confront us before it saves us. The pure heart of God will break us before it mends us. Purity is not a standard that God will compromise. He will not lower it, but we have to grow to it. We have to step into it. And that is why he paid the ultimate price on the cross, so that he gives us the grace, so that he equips us to attain that standard through Christ Jesus. So here are the two ways or the two manifestations of the pure heart of God as they relate to us. The first one is this, the pure heart of God as a mirror. Now a mirror's job is to reflect back the image of whatever stands in front of it. The mirror doesn't lie. It shows you just as you are. You may close your eyes and proclaim that you are the lion, the indomitable lion, that you are beautiful, that you are strong, that you are exquisite, but when you open your eyes, it's just you. The mirror doesn't lie. It just reflects whatever stands in front of it. And the pure heart of God is just like a mirror. There are a number of examples Examples after examples in the Bible where the first thing that individuals who have come to stand before the manifested presence of God encountered was the purity of God's presence and how unworthy they felt and how unworthy they were to stand before his presence. As a mirror standing before them, the purity of God's presence exposed their failings, it exposed their impurity and it was as if they stood in front, of a, in front of a mirror that could show into the innermost being of a person. Let's have a look at some examples. In the book of Job, chapter 4, from verses 12 to 19, we meet El, a guy called Eliphaz. This is one of Job's friends who came uh, to be with him, to visit him after Job's ordeal. And he recounts his experience of standing before the presence of God, before the Spirit of God. And here is what he said. Now a word was secretly brought to me, 
and my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep, sleeps, when deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair on my body stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying, can a mortal man be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth. So here is Eliphaz recounting his story, his experience of standing before the presence of God, standing before the Spirit of God, and he tells us his experience, how he was shaking, how he was trembling, how he was afraid to be visited by, by the Spirit of God. And then when the Spirit of God begins to speak to him, he speaks to him saying, can a mortal man be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If God charges his angels with folly, if God charges his angels, those beings we consider to be pure, if he charges them with error, how much more those who dwell in the houses of clay? Here is another example from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, from verse 1 to 5. Again, here is the prophet Isaiah telling the story of the vision that he had of God and the throne of God. Then notice what he says about himself after describing what he saw. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Again, before the presence of God, before the throne room of God, there stands Isaiah in front of a mirror, and after having been marveled by the presence and by the glory of God and having seen the angels and everything, the mirror then reflects back to him, and he sees himself, and he says, woe, is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, standing before the pure presence of God. I want to take the third example from the New Testament, and I have often referred to this story before, and it is the story of Peter in the boat with Jesus. You will remember the story in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus asked Peter to, to use his boat to teach the congregation when Jesus finished, he asked Peter to go to the deep and cast his nets to fish. 
And you all know the story. Then Peter replies and says, we've been toiling all night and we haven't caught any fish. But then nevertheless, at thy word, I will cast the nets. And then he does that. The miracle happens. They caught so much fish that the nets began to break. Then they called for help and they filled the boat with the fish. Then something even greater than the miracle that just happened, happened. A sinner repented. I visualize this, I visualize it like this. I feel like there was that brief moment when Jesus is sitting on the boat on the one side and there is Peter sitting on the other side and there is lots of fishes in between them. Peter could see the miracle. He marvels at what Jesus did. Then he could see Jesus. So here is Jesus sitting on the boat. There are the fishes in between them. And there is Peter sitting over there. He could see the miracle in front of him. Past the miracle, he could see Jesus sitting over there. In this brief moment, Jesus, who is the manifested presence, the manifested glory of God, is sitting there like a mirror. And Peter could see himself through the mirror. The miracle reflects back to him. And Peter replies to Jesus and says, Lord, I am a sinner. You should depart from me. In all these three examples that I just showed you from the book of Job, Isaiah, and Luke, you can see that all it took for these individuals to see their imperfection was just to stand before his presence. There were no arguments. There were no extended debates. There wasn't even a conversation. All it took for them to see their own failings was to just stand in front of that mirror. So the practical outworking of the purity of God's heart is to make us vulnerable before his presence. Only then will God begin to fix us. There is a moment in each and every one of us's life where we feel so much undeserving to be in the presence of God, where we are broken to pieces, where we feel like this is not where, I, where I'm supposed to be. But, but then that is the crucial moment when God will begin to do the miracle of transforming our lives. That's the key moment when we are vulnerable, when we are broken into pieces. That's when the potter's hand steps in and begins to fix us, to bring us back together. And this takes me to the second characteristic or manifestation of the pure heart of God. And here I've, I've, I've termed this the pure heart of God as a provider. The other manifestation of the pure heart of God is the provision that he makes for us to become pure like him. He doesn't just stand as a mirror in front of us to accuse us. He makes the provision for us to get there. God knows our failings and he knows the state of our heart. So God, God has made a way. He has paved the way for us to achieve the standard of purity that he wants us to have. He begins by showing us our failings. 
so he can lead us into repentance. And when we surrender our hearts, he purifies it. And the God kind of purity cannot be attained anyway, anywhere, anyway, any other way. It exists only in him, and it's only him who can provide it for us. And it's only him who can show us how to get there. Now, God did not say, go and be holy and come back to me when you figure out how to be holy or how to have pure hearts. On the contrary, he beckons us to come to him just as we are so he can fix us, so that he can take away the wicked heart that we have and give us a new heart. In the examples that we saw previously, God made provisions to fix the hearts of Isaiah. He made provisions to fix the heart of Peter. In Isaiah 6, from verse 6 to 7, we read, after, after Isaiah said, Woe unto me, I am a man of unclean lips, I am undone. In verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus said to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So God makes that provision for these individuals who stood accused before his presence so that they could step up and become like him. In church, that same provision has been made for us. And the blood of Jesus was shed on the cross to wash us clean and to purify our hearts. And through his blood, now we have that access to the Father and the boldness to stand in his presence. That is why in the scripture that we read from First John, you can see how John longs to be there when Christ is revealed. Unlike the stories that we saw in the Old Testament where people are terrified by the presence of God, to stand in his presence. In the New Testament, John talks about the presence of God as something to look forward to. We are no longer terrified to stand in his presence because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us, has washed our sins. And we no longer stand condemned before his presence but we stand before his presence as redeemed. Here is the last verse that I want to bring to your attention this morning, and the band could come up. One day, God told the prophet Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house and that he would speak to him once he gets there. Jeremiah went to the potter's house, and when he reached there, he saw the potter was working on his will, making something out of a clay. So the prophet watches the potter working, and as he watches him on his clay, on the will, he saw that suddenly the clay was marred, it was disfigured, it was destroyed in the potter's hand. He then noticed that the potter made it again, into another vessel. The same clay that was disfigured, the same clay that was marred, is now transformed to become a new vessel that was good 
and pleasing to the potter. And at this moment, God spoke to Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter 18, from verse 5 to 6, Then a word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. I want us to take this word into our hearts this morning and insert your names where it says, O Israel. O Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Can't the Lord do in your life as the potter did with this clay? Can't the Lord fix that broken heart as the potter fixed that clay that was marred in his hands? Can't the Lord fix that relationship as the, as the potter fixed that clay? Can't the Lord fix that health as the potter was able to fix that clay that was disfigured in his hand? I believe he can. I believe he can. All we need is the potter's touch this morning. All we need is the potter's touch to invite him, to invite him into our lives, to invite him into whatever is broken in our lives. I believe the potter could fix our hearts and any broken piece of our life. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the provision that you've made for us to attain that standard of purity which you require of us. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on our behalf and that cleansed us so that we could stand before your presence today as the redeemed sons and daughters of the Most High God. We thank you for the pure hearts that you've given us. We take boldness this morning in knowing that the blood of Jesus has accomplished all that is needed for our rescue. We bless your name. We pray this morning for the potter's touch to come into our lives. Whatever seems to be broken in our lives, whatever seems to be disfigured in our lives, in our relationships, in our health, in our family, in our work, in our vocations, in our nation, we ask this morning that you fix it in Jesus' name. We believe and we confess that you can and that you are able to do as the potter was able to do with his clay. We give you all the glory and we thank you in advance for the miracle that you are about to do in our lives. All glory in heaven, all glory on earth be to you, Father. In the blessed and mighty name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.